Let's Talk Bible. And welcome to the next episode of Let's Talk Bible. I'm your host, Johnny Bargo. Most of you may know that, some of you may not. But nonetheless, we have a really good study tonight. We're going to be talking about the two witnesses. This is a topic that there is a lot of speculation, um, a lot of things being thrown around, and having opinions in things that are not concrete in the Bible, that's okay. You know, but as my ministry, I state a lot that things that the Bible absolutely does not say, we have to be careful. And if we bring it out, we must say it's our opinion, and this is my conclusion. You know, but things that the Bible is absolute on, we can stand on absolute. Like Jesus is the only way to the Father. There is nothing in the Bible that would ever, ever contradict that. That the only way to the Father is Jesus. Nothing would ever, ever contradict that. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Nothing would ever, ever contradict that. Those are concrete and can never be done away. So those are absolute. We can stand on and say, no, that's not my opinion. That is the Word of God. But sometimes when you deal with subjects like the two witnesses, um, like the seals and the scroll and, and different things, you can get into opinions. And as I said, that's all right. As long as you're not making those say, hey, this is what God said, you know. But we can draw from context. We can draw from co-text. We can search the, the Bible and see what it's saying about a subject. So that's what we're going to do tonight with the two witnesses in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 11. I have a strong opinion. I believe that my strong opinion has a very good case. Some of you may agree, some of you may not. Hey, that's okay, this is not salvational. We'll get along and we'll we'll just move on. But hopefully after tonight's study, you will realize what I'm trying to get across. But before we go into the study, it has been alerted yesterday or the day before that Russia has invaded Ukraine. Now, I'm always skeptical to believe media. I'm always skeptical to believe social media, the news, you know, because they can ramp up things for their own agendas. Um, and I'm not saying there's not war because I've been alerted by someone who has family in Ukraine that there is war, that there there's a lot of power outages and things going on. Um, it, they said there's really no need for America to get involved. It's not there yet. But so we just don't know. You know, we need to be praying for Ukraine. We need to be praying for Russia. We need to be praying for the innocent. And we need to be praying for souls. And we need to be wise and not be moved in our emotions. So, as I said, before we get into this study, I think we should just say a prayer for the nation of Russia and the nation of Ukraine. That God's moving hand would be upon them. And most importantly, that anyone that is not saved would come to know Jesus in this time of war. Dear Heavenly Father God, in the name of your Son Jesus, we pray for Ukraine. We pray in faith, God. We pray in sincerity and love for the people of Ukraine, for the people of Russia, that in a time of war, God, even in the midst of war, may your people have peace. May your people who are called by your name, the church, the body, go and be the light of Jesus in such a dark time that souls will be one, that peace can be given, that your name could still be glorified even in such a time. But we pray for peace. We pray for safety. We pray for food, Lord. We pray for people to still be able to get water, God. We pray that the leaders' hearts would be changed, Lord. But nonetheless, we pray for your will be done. We pray for these nations, God. 
as we pray for this study. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So my advice with this whole war thing is don't be too moved with emotion by what you see. Let's be settled. Let's be quick, not quick to jump to conclusions of saying, well, this is the battle of Armageddon and, you know, this is the, this is the book of Revelation. It, and it doesn't always have to be Revelation. You know, it doesn't always have to be something from Revelation because that's for a specific time. Now, there's always been war. And there will be war, and it will be climactic all the way up to the end. But this doesn't necessarily mean that that's where we're at. Okay. So, I'm going to go ahead and get into this study of the two witnesses. Uh, there may be some background noise of cars going by. It's early in the morning. Um, everybody in my house is asleep, so I took the time to come and do this study and people are getting ready for work, so cars are going by. I live right on a busy highway, so if you hear any cars going by, just overlook that, and let's uh, let's get going. If you have your Bibles, guys, Revelation chapter 11. And it starts in verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses. Wait, wait, wait. First, let me go ahead and get into something. The ideologies, the theologies, and the belief systems of who or what the two witnesses are first. I think we should get into that first. People believe, some people, some believers believe that this is just symbology. This is metaphor. For something else. And they believe that this is the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some people believe that. Now me, I absolutely do not believe that. Some people believe that this is two of the churches of the seven that were not rebuked. That will go through the tribulation. Okay, like I think the Church of Philadelphia and the other church just slipped my mind, but some of you may know it. So some people believe that it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Some people believe that it's two of the churches that were not rebuked in the letters to the churches. Some people believe that it's the Jew and the Gentile. And they have their reasons. They say, um, I'm not necessarily going to go into that why they believe what they believe. Now, I will say those who believe it's the two churches, or it's the church, a picture of the church is because it calls these two witnesses a lampstand. The churches are called lampstands. They say, well, see, the, the two witnesses is a lampstand as well. But they're also called the two olive trees. And there's somewhere else in the Bible that talks about the two olive trees and the lampstands. You know, sometimes in the Bible you have the same picture, analogy of things, like Jesus, the, the bright morning star, Lucifer, uh, the morning star. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Satan is a lion that seeking whom he may devour. So he's portrayed as a lion. Jesus portrayed as a lion. Jesus is the morning star, the bright and morning star. Uh, Satan or Lucifer is the is the morning star as well. You see, but he's not the bride and morning star, but he's still a morning star. But these are lampstands, the two lampstands and the two olive trees. They're not just lampstands. The churches were never called the olive trees. So just because we see two lampstands and then we see lampstands in the church doesn't mean that's who that is. And I'm going to get into that, and I'm going to show you why this is not a symbol for the church. In my opinion, I believe the text would agree. The other, the most popular, which the belief that this is the Jew and the Gentile or the two churches, that is a growing popular belief. Okay? 
Now, this is not a salvational issue. This is not something to separate on if you believe I'm wrong, if I believe you're wrong. We do that in love, we fellowship, and we worship the Lord. This is nothing salvational. But the most famous or the most held-to belief of the two witnesses is Elijah and Enoch, and Moses and Elijah. Now, people believe that Elijah and Enoch, it would be them based upon Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, he didn't see death. Enoch was taken because he walked with God, and therefore he was not because God took him. Enoch didn't see death. So you have Elijah and Enoch not facing death. And the argument you will be given is the Bible says it is appointed once for man to die. And they'll say, see, Enoch didn't die, Elijah didn't die. And it's appointed once man to die, so these two must come back because they must die because it's appointed once for all men to die. That sounds, you know, on the basis, if you're not going and digging and you don't have some of the other context, that sounds good. And you know what? I may be wrong. On my opinion. But I don't believe that I am. And I don't say that in any uh, arrogance. I'm just stating what I believe. And I'll show you why that I don't believe that that holds weight. Because they're, it's appointed unto man once to die and these two didn't die. Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. He had died. He was raised from the dead again. He died again after being raised from the dead because he didn't live forever. He eventually died again. Somehow, the Bible doesn't tell us. Unless some people say that Lazarus is the story that Jesus was quoting, but that wouldn't make sense. But even if it is, he still died again, right? He rose, he was raised from the dead. He had died once because it's appointed unto man to die once. And then he was raised from the dead and then he had to die again. That's twice. The Bible doesn't say anything about man dying twice. It's not appointed for man to die twice. The little girl that Jesus rose from the dead. The boy that fell out of the window when Paul was preaching. Dorcas, when Peter touched her and said, open your eyes. And she came alive. The, the saints that rose from the dead that people saw when Jesus came out of the grave, Old Testament saints and people alive or dead came alive at that time. But they didn't live forever. So therefore they had to die a second time. The Bible doesn't specifically say it's appointed unto man to die a second time. It says one time. And then we see in the rapture, that those that are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall be caught up. They will never see death. They will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye and they will never even see death once. So therefore, sometimes when you're reading the Bible and you're basing these things on scriptures like it is appointed unto man to die once, and you build a theology around that, you can, you can get kind of um, messed up in your theology, messed up in your doctrine. You can begin to put eisegetical opinion based upon a wrong interpretation of the text. That's why it's important to know the text and not cherry pick and say, well, nope, it's appointed unto man to die once. So they have to die, and that's the doctrine. But as we've built the case of some people rose from the dead, they died twice. Some people will never even die in the rapture because they'll be caught up in those that are alive and remain. So therefore, that's why I don't believe on the basis of Enoch and Elijah. Now, could it be Enoch and Elijah? Could I be wrong? Could it be those two that come? Yes. 
but I don't see it. Now, there's another opinion that I, I didn't say before, but that it's the spirit of Enoch and Elijah, or the spirit of Moses and Elijah, and it's just two normal men, maybe uh, two Jews, who are raised up as prophets for that day, because they'll say, see, John the Baptist had the spirit of Elijah, and Elijah had already come. But really, John the Baptist didn't fulfill exactly what Elijah being sent before the great and terrible day of the Lord actually was to accomplish. That was the spirit of Elijah. That wasn't Elijah himself. That's a debatable topic for some people. I'm not getting into that, but that was the spirit of Elijah. And they'll say, well, that's the same with the two witnesses. It will be the spirit of these prophets that are in modern day prophets. I used to hold to that belief. And it's possible that if I'm wrong, this could be the belief that this could be the actual thing that it is. But there's something in the scripture here that really convinces me that it's not the spirit of, but it is concrete. That it is who it says it is. And it says, these are the two olive trees in Revelation 4, and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. We've heard that before somewhere. That's Revelation 11.4. The two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the whole earth. Now we go to Zechariah chapter 4. And I'm going to read, I think, the whole chapter. Let me see here. Um, yeah, we can possibly read the whole chapter. And we're already 17 minutes in the podcast. And um, I really haven't touched basis yet. But I hope that my ramblings is making sense and I'm building the foundation of where I'm going. So I hope that's that's what I'm doing here. Y'all pray for me. Zechariah chapter 4. And the angel that talked with me came again and, and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked and behold a candlestick, all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon. This would be like a menorah in the temple, right? This is a Jewish thing, like the menorah with the seven candlesticks. But they see a bowl. He said, Look, behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl on top of it, and it has seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it. One upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. Remember, Revelation 11, 4 said, These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands before the God of the whole earth. And the two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. Verse 4, So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest not what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and he spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerah, Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, sorry, saying, Not by might, nor by spirit, nor by power, but my by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are thou, O great mountain before Zerubbabel, that, that shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof, sorry guys, this Bible has really little words, thereof with shoutings, crying, grace, grace upon it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. 
and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For what has despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the, in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord. Those seven are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. In the book of Revelation, we see seven spirits of God before the throne. Then I answered and said unto them, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, A third time he says this, What be the two branches which throng through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest not what these be? And I said, no, my Lord. Three times he says this. Watch what he says. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. These are the anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Let's go back to Revelation 11. Sorry, guys, I actually had to pause and go get a different Bible because that one was just really hard um, to see the word. So I hope you guys uh, heard me pretty good reading Zechariah 4. But what it was saying was these two olive trees and these two lampstands that stand on the right side and the left side of the Lord. These are the two anointed ones who stand before the God of the whole earth. These are two anointed ones. Right? The olive trees and the lampstands. Revelation 11.3 And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days, clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. So we see in Zechariah 4, in the last verse in Zechariah, I believe it's 4 and 13. This is the same, what, who or whatever these are, are the same thing. This is where you get cotex. This is how you build your doctrine. You understand. The two olive trees, the two lampstands. So now they're not standing before the God of the whole earth in the presence of the Lord. They are now going to be sent in the time of the tribulation. And they will prophesy three and a half years. Now... Some believe they'll come in the first half, some believe the second half, some believe in the middle of both, like into both of them. This is not a discussion on the timing. We're not going to discuss the timing of the two witnesses, but we know they will be for the end. But we know in Revelation 11, verse 1, it talks about John measuring the temple. Then it talks about Jerusalem being trampled by the Antichrist. We see this in Daniel. We understand this from Old Testament as well. And then we see the two witnesses. So they're prophesying in Jerusalem. And we know for a fact this is in Jerusalem. We'll get to that in, a, in some later verses. But they're prophesying around the temple. Why? Because the Jews will be sacrificing again. Some people will say, oh, well, we're the temple of God. We are the spiritual temple of Christ, the temple of God in Christ Jesus. But that doesn't negate the fact that the scriptures in Daniel tell us that there will be a temple where sacrifices will be done again and the little horn will stop the sacrifice, commit the abomination of desolation, right? And then begin the great tribulation. Jesus said, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, so we go to Daniel the prophet, we see 
that it's not a body that he desecrates. It's a building. It's a sanctuary where they're doing sacrifices. We can't spiritualize that temple. Some of you may not agree with that. That's fine. But the scripture concludes that, yes, during the 70th week, there will be a covenant, there will be a, a temple, there will be sacrifices. Now, that doesn't make these Jews who are sacrificing Christian. It's not for salvation, but it is going to take place. This is now back where God is dealing with Israel. Some of you may not agree with that, but the 70th week does resort to dealing with Israel again. Okay, I kind of got off, but I, I feel like I need to build that. So these two witnesses will be witnessing during the time of the temple, the sacrifices, the time that the Antichrist is coming in because the Antichrist kills the two witnesses, and it's in that time of Jacob's trouble. And what I believe is they will be there at the temple. They will be there in that city in Jerusalem. And when they're sacrificing, these two will be telling the Jews in the world that what you are doing, you're, that is the Messiah, that is to point to the Messiah, that was to point to Jesus, that sacrificial lamb is to point to Jesus whom you crucified. And everything they do in the law and all these things, they will be there to tell them, this pointed to Jesus. He is the atonement. He is the, the uh, Passover. He is the sacrificial lamb. And they will torment them. Right? But I, I, I went to Zechariah chapter 4 to show you that these are the two anointed ones who stand as we speak right now. Before God. So I don't believe that they're just two men that will be having the spirit of Elijah and Moses or the spirit of the prophets who will come. So I don't believe that it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. I do not believe it's the two churches, even though the, the churches say there are lampstands. But those two churches aren't standing before the God of the whole earth right now. They're not in the presence of the Lord right now. That is a church. That was a church. The Church of Philadelphia and the other church that still has slipped my mind. Okay. So we don't see the church. And I'm going to break down why. I do not believe this is symbolic of the church before I go into Elijah and Moses. I'll show you why I don't believe that it's symbology for the two churches in the tribulation. It says these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. We've, we've established that they stand before the God of the whole earth. Zechariah 4.13. They are the two anointed ones. Is the church of Philadelphia and the other church that doesn't get rebuked by Jesus, are they the only anointed ones? No, because there's worldwide churches, okay? Some will say, well, that's the spirit of the church of Philadelphia. But we get in the eyes of Jesus, therefore we're putting in our opinion at this point. We're building a doctrine based upon eyes of Jesus, and that never turns out well. But it says, these are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the whole earth. Revelation 11.5 And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy and have power over waters to turn to blood and smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Where our Lord was crucified. Where is our Lord crucified? Jerusalem. 
So is the whole church killed in Jerusalem and both of these churches, well, they say it's not just the church of Philadelphia, it's two churches, right? It's the spirit of two churches. It's the church in the tribulation. Do all of these churches die in the streets of Jerusalem and lay there? Did they travel to Jerusalem? No, that's a possibility. They could travel to Jerusalem if we're talking about specific location. But they were in Asia Minor. Pretty much like modern day Turkey. Now they could travel to Jerusalem and then die in the street. Yeah, that's possible. But that was a church for John's day, literally. Now most of us also say that most of those churches are also a spiritual representation of stages of the church or different kinds of church, like the Laodicean church we see today where they're naked and they believe they're rich, but they're naked and they need to try of God and, and, and get his anointing and get life in him. But yet, nonetheless, the literal interpretation is those are seven churches in John's day. And it says, Their dead bodies shall be in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And the people and the kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, shall send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life of God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they had a great and they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and the enemies beheld them. And in the same hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and give glory to the God of heaven. Now, when people believe that this is the church, this is symbology for the church, and I see where they get that. We see them coming. We see them during the tribulation. We see them testifying, witnessing. See them doing miracles. They say, well, the church will do miracles in this day, in this time. And I believe that. I believe the church will. But what we see here that doesn't line up with the rest of the scripture in the book of Revelation and the end time about the church is, yes, there's a war just as the Antichrist will come out and make war with these two witnesses, Revelation 13 says there will be war with the saints. That's the church, but that is the individual saint that makes up the church. He will make war against the saints because we will not be congregating during the tribulation. We will be running. We will be hiding. We will be not gathering at First Baptist on Main Street. So it's the saints. Okay? the individual saint that comes together in a collection to make up the church. Do I think that they'll be doing miracles? Yes, I do. I believe the church can do miracles during this, but we're not protected. It said, if any man try to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. But these two are protected for three and a half years. We see that the church during the war against the saints are being killed, the power of the holy people to be, to be killed. They're not being protected. Both of these witnesses, you see, are protected. There's no death in these two witnesses at all. They are protected until the end. And they have power to kill. We don't see that with the church. Actually, the church says... Whoever is to go into captivity, go into captivity. Whoever is to be killed with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the faith and the patience of the saints. We don't kill our enemies with fire. We don't kill our enemies with things. And they'll say, well, that's not literal fire. But we do not fight the mark of the beast and the war against the saints. We are overcome throughout the time. We are not spared. Then once again are all of the bodies in the city of Jerusalem. 
People will say, well, that's spiritual because there's no such thing as a location of Jerusalem. God doesn't recognize that. That is not biblically accurate. When Jesus comes back and steps his feet he st on the earth, he steps his feet on the Mount of Olives. That's in Jerusalem. He says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, he said, those in Judea flee into the mountains. That's not spiritual Judea and spiritual mountains running to the high place with God. No, that's Judea. That's a location. God does recognize the location of Jerusalem and Judea and Israel. He steps on the Mount of Olives. And they'll say, well, their dead bodies will lay there, and then three and a half days later, which is the end of the three and a half years of the tribulation, they'll be raptured and resurrected. That's, the, that's a picture of the rapture. That is a type and shadow. That is a rapture. That is a resurrection. I will agree. But these people saw it. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life of God entered into them and they stood upon their feet. The world is celebrating during this three and a half days that they're dead. Is the world celebrating the church, the death of the church? Yes, you could say that. But watch. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake and the tenth part of the city fell. So they're saying this is the rapture. This is the resurrection. This is a picture of the church. The earthquake that happens at the rapture in the sixth seal is a worldwide earthquake. Now, the earthquake doesn't match. Them being protected and not being able to be killed, all of the witnesses, both witnesses, do not die. And anyone tries to harm them, they shall be killed. That is not the picture we see in the church. And remember, Zechariah 4 said, these are the two anointed ones. Now it's awesome and beautiful, even though I do not believe this is the two churches that were rebuked or not rebuked in the seven of the seven churches. Five were rebuked, two were not. It's still a beautiful picture and a type and shadow of what's going on with the people of God in the church, the saints, by going through the persecution, by being raptured and resurrected. But it's not. These are the two anointed ones that stand beside the God of the whole earth. One on the right side, one on his left. So for whole three and a half years, these men are tormenting the earth with plagues as often as they will, turning water to blood. And they cannot be harmed. You see, we do not see that in the church. Type and shadow? Absolutely. What is the text saying? It is not telling you that it's spiritual. These are the two anointed ones before the God of the whole earth. And the whole church does not lie, go to Jerusalem. The church is worldwide persecuted. all over the world, of all nations, tongues, tribes, and nations. A number that no man can number, right? That came out of the Great Tribulation. That were martyred for Jesus. They are not going to be laying in the streets where our Lord was crucified. That's literal, where our Lord was crucified. That city where our Lord was crucified, that's Jerusalem. Where will there be a temple, as in Revelation 11, 1? In Jerusalem. Where does the Antichrist go in and trample the city? Jerusalem. This is not a bunch of metaphor. This is not a bunch of allegory. 
We're seeing stuff here that is just legit. That's a temple. That's the Antichrist and his army, literally. And these are two witnesses, the two anointed ones. So I do not believe it's the Old and New Testament. I do not believe it is a sim symbol of the church. I do not believe it's the Old and New Covenant. Gentile and Jew, they'll say as well. That's another option. And I even don't believe that it's Enoch and Elijah just because they haven't died. It's once a appointed a man to die, but we know we've established some will never die in the rapture. Some has died twice by being resurrected from the dead. So we can't base our opinion upon that. So now we'll get into here at 40 minutes. I'm sorry guys for my rambling. Any of you guys that listen to me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, on my lives, you know that I I will go on a ramble. I will go on a rant. And I'll apologize for it. My wife's like, it always ties together. Don't worry about it. So I hope this tied together. I hope this is tying together for you. I hope you're seeing what I'm saying because now I'm going to get to where I believe who the two witnesses are. We get here and we see the characteristics that these people are able to accomplish. They have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the day of their prophecy. Fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemy. So the first two characteristics is fire proceeding from their mouth to devour their enemies, and they have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. Where have we heard this before? This is the characteristics of Elijah with the prophets of Baal and other places. He called down fire upon them. Even Peter said, do you want us to call down fire like Elijah on these people who will not allow you into the city? Elijah called down fire upon the enemies of God who tried to harm him and who would not listen to God, right? So this is what's going on. with. Uh, we've seen this before. He's done this before. Also, Elijah went and he prayed, right? Let's go to James. James, I believe, chapter 5. He's talking about the, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much here in James. Chapter 5, verse 16, and we go into 17, says Elias, which is the Greek form of Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. Three and a half years, the exact time that these two witnesses will prophesy. So this is another link with Elijah. He prayed that it would not rain. What did Revelation, the two witness, want? it said that they could shut heavens, that it rain not for the three and a half years. And then he said, and he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. So we see Elijah praying that it that he could withhold the reign of heaven. Revelation says, And these have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And they prophesied three and a half years. Fire called down, Elijah did it. Pray that it not rain for three and a half years, Elijah did it. There's two more characteristics here. Remember, these are the two anointed ones. It says, and when they shall have, wait, here we go, sorry, Revelation 11 and 6, 
They shall have power to shut heaven that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Where have we heard that before? Power to turn water to blood. Moses did that in Exodus. He did it to Pharaoh. And they had power to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. Moses smote Egypt with plagues. We've seen it before. So here we're seeing the characteristics of Moses and Elijah. They've done these things before. People will say, well, I don't see them being sent back to the earth. Why can't it just be the Spirit? Well, let's go to Luke, the, the transfiguration. Luke 9, verse 28. And it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And, he, and as he prayed... The fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. He changed. He became vibrantly white. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, which is Elijah, who appeared in glory, meaning they also were raiment. They were glistening. They were white. They were in glory. The glory of heaven came with them. They were shining. Remember, the two anointed ones who stand before the God of the whole earth. On the right and on the left. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. So God found it that these men were worthy to be sent to talk to Jesus in glorified state, and he as well became glorified. And they, they were found worthy enough to come and speak to the Lord and instruct him and talk about his death, which he was going to accomplish on the cross. That's pretty important. We never see Elijah and Enoch sent back to the earth. We never see... John the Baptist, and Joshua the high priest. We never see Jeremiah and anyone else, but we do see that God found worthy enough that Moses and Elijah would be sent to talk to the Lord about his crucifixion. But Peter and they that were with them were heavy with sleep, and when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass as they departed from Peter, said unto Jesus, Master, is it good for us to be here? Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. So people may say, well, I don't see him sending back Two men. One had already died. It's appointed unto man die once. We've established that, that it doesn't matter. If he dies a second time, Moses dies a second time, that doesn't negate because many people have died a second time according to the Bible. Some will die none. But Moses and Elijah was sent back to talk to the Lord. We see the characteristics of Moses and Elijah. The two anointed ones. These came back in an anointing, in the glory, glorified, in the power. Jesus, glistening, changed, vibrant, and so was Moses and Elijah. The two anointed ones, I believe, the two anointed ones who stand before the Lord of the whole earth. What do they also represent? The law and the prophets. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets. And they come to Jerusalem and Israel and the Jews, the Israelites, in the 70th week of Daniel to tell them about Christ. To witness 
to what's going on in this temple, to witness the abominations going on, to point them to Christ. They can call down fire. They can stop heaven. Smite with plagues and turn water to blood. They've done it before. Enoch didn't do this. The church didn't do this. They are protected for three and a half years, and then the Antichrist will come. Who comes out of the bottomless pit? It doesn't mean that's the time he comes out, which it could be the time he comes out and goes and kills them, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. It just says the one that comes out of the bottomless pit will kill them. And they will lie dead three and a half days. That would be Moses' second death, which has happened before, and that would be Elijah's one time appointed unto die. They came in glory and talked to the Lord about his crucifixion. They were instructing him about what he was to accomplish. And they were in glory glorified so was the Lord these two olive trees and two candlesticks are the the two anointed ones who stand by the God of the whole earth one on the right and one on the left so Moses and Elijah seem to be the best candidate for the two prophets because it's not just the spirit of someone, it is the two anointed ones. So we rule out the spirit of these men. Now, somehow, if God wanted to make it Elijah and Enoch, who am I to say anything? But I don't believe we see that. I don't believe we see the church being protected and no one dying and every all the church dying in the streets in Jerusalem. Because that is literal where our Lord was crucified. This is where they will die. This is where they're prophesying. This is where the temple will be. This is where the Antichrist will come into the land and trample it. Revelation 11 and 2. But they were in glory. And God sent them to talk to the Lord. We see the characteristics. I believe they will point the people to the Lord. And this will be a big part of the Jews coming to the Lord in the last days. The man over the law, the man over the prophets, telling you what you're sacrificing on that altar in that temple should be looked at to the Lord. All of the things they're doing and holding in the Passover when all of this starts again, when the temple is built. And they'll stand, I believe, against the Antichrist. If he stands up and he, when he declares himself to be God, these two men will stand and preach and witness Jesus. God already sent them back once. And they were anointed. They were in glory. The kingdom of God had come. Luke 9, 27, right before this says, But I tell you of a truth, there should be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. Many people believe that's talking about preterism, 70 AD. The people didn't die. They saw Jesus come back or the kingdom of God had come. They use that. They say, well, those people were standing there. You think they live forever? They're still alive? The kingdom of God hasn't come. It says, go on, and it says it came to pass about eight days after that saying. He took Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John was some of those that were standing there, and then they saw the glory of the kingdom of God in its glorified state in front of them, and they heard God speak from a cloud and say, this is my son. While they thus spoke, there came a cloud and overshadowed them, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close. That cloud took Moses and Elijah back. God, whom they stand before in the presence, 
took them back. But he spoke, and they saw the kingdom of God. James and John were standing there. So people take that verse, that some standing here will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. They believe that that means everything had already been fulfilled in that generation. That's not what it means. We have to keep it in context. Go on. Those sayings... In eight days, it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, James, and John up there. That's what I truly believe he said when some of you will stand here and see that you will not die before you see the kingdom of God. They saw the kingdom of God right there. God spoke in a cloud. They saw Moses and Elijah illuminated and the Lord illuminated, shining in glory. They saw the kingdom of God. And James and John and Peter we're standing there when Jesus said that. I have less than five minutes left. I hope my rambling was a rambling that tied all of this in together. The church isn't protected. For three and a half years till the end of it, then they die in Jerusalem. That's not. Is it a pretty picture of a type and shadow of that tribulation time? It is. But the earthquake isn't the same. A tenth of the city doesn't fall. It's an earthquake that moves mountains when the church is raptured. Of all the earth. It's a time of darkness. The sun turning dark. You don't see that there. Do we kill our enemies? No. Those that are to go into captivity, go into captivity. Those to be killed with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the faith and the patience of the saints. We don't see the church. But we do see the two anointed ones. The two witnesses. The two olive trees and the two lampstands. Who stand before the God of the whole earth. Sent down again to prophesy in a time like never before. With the same characteristics as Moses and Elijah. Elijah is to be sent to the fathers and the children to bring to turn their hearts back before the great and terrible day of the Lord. That was not during John's time. That was a double fulfillment. That was a type and shadow, the spirit of Elijah. But I believe we see Elijah coming back. I believe we see Moses coming back. The two anointed ones. The two that he had already sent to speak to Jesus. I wish I could have gave you more of where to find these. You can find the two witnesses, what I believe, in Revelation chapter 11. Luke 9. 28, start in verse 28, and you'll find the rest. Zechariah 4, especially Zechariah 4.13. I believe we build a case for Moses and Elijah. I believe it's at least the best possibility. Is it salvational? No. So if I'm wrong, then, hey, I've, I, I've made a mistake. I've miscalculated or just was wrong but I don't believe I am I believe it is the two anointed ones who came and spoke to the Lord I believe it is the ones who had the same characteristics I believe it is Moses and Elijah I don't believe it's just the spirit so I hope this has helped for this third episode pray for me Lord willing we'll get another one in soon if you guys will, go to podpage.com forward slash Let's Talk Bible. Subscribe so you get the blogs that I'll be putting out and the podcast into your email. You subscribe to the email list. With less than a minute left, if you want to donate to the ministry, if this ministry has helped you in any way, we do have a donate button. I don't do this for money, but it does help our livelihood. It does help feed orphans. In, in the orphanage in Kenya, the Jambo Rafiki children, Brother Benjamin Oyo and his wife and mother. 
And we thank everyone who's been helping supply them with food and things and everybody that's donated to the ministry already that's helped us with our livelihood. It's been a blessing. We hope to do more. Podpage.com forward slash Let's Talk Bible. That is the blog and the podcast website. Check it out. I hope this has been a blessing. As always, I hope you are blessed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.